This podcast is sponsored by the Center for Digital and Visual Literacy at Agnes Scott College. Welcome to the Digital Breakdown. I'm your host, Cy Williams. And that lovely voice you heard at the beginning of the podcast? That's my coworker, Anastasia Owen. In this monthly podcast, guest and I discuss the past, the present, and the future of navigating a digital world. For this month's episode, the story of the CVL is the focus. The main characters of this story include Nell Ruby and a team of seven students, who included Anastasia Owen and T. Barnes. Founded in 2014 and then known as the D-Center, the CDPL was a brainchild of Nell Ruby. Nell Ruby, at the time, was already a tenured art professor at Agnes Scott. Anastasia Owen was heavily involved in the implementation of the D-Center, although she was just a first year in 2014. With the help of grant funding and of Anastasia, and a non-traditional student named T. Barnes, and five other students, Nell brought her years-old vision to life. Minor but important characters include Elizabeth Keish, who was president of Agnes Scott at the time, and several professors who saw brilliancy in embedding digital literacy into their courses. To help tell the tale of the CDVL, I interviewed Nell and Anastasia. Well, interview may be a strong word. I just asked them one or two questions and let them paint the story for our audience. Without further delay, let's get into the story of how the CDVL came to be, its present, and what the future of the center may hold. Welcome to the Digital Breakdown. I'm your host, Cy Williams, and today we will be talking to Nell Ruby and Anastasia Owen about the beginnings of the CDVL and how it came to be. So let's start from the beginning. Whose idea was it? And why did it come to be? So what happened was we were in a portfolio. Um, I've been in a portfolio group for a million years at Agnes, and it has changed iterations and venues and how-tos many, many, many times. It's, uh, it actually started with the notion of a strategic plan. It was a st- strategic plan to have digital um, portfolios as part of a way to make the college experience better. And this was maybe maybe like 12 years ago, because I remember that Richard Perry and Christine Cousins were on the group that thought that would be a good idea. And Richard Perry retired about 10 years ago. So I know that it was a while ago. And I took that idea to heart because it, it was a natural for um, artists to have portfolios, right? We had artists have portfolios. Um, But to have a portfolio where you explicate, you know, where you don't just show your work, but you talk about your work, uh, actually transformed my teaching um, experience in that instead of us just thinking about and judging images, we now had a way to think about the process of making and learning. And um, it really helped me a lot to see, uh, to read, what people had learned in their own words. 
So I started keeping um, this kind of a digital portfolio with my classes. And that was super successful. I was doing that on WordPress.com because it was free and it was easy. And I thought that was all great. And it was all great. And I still have a lot of links to those uh, portfolios and the students, you know, the students ended up having an archive of their work as well as being able to show me the pieces as they came into existence, which was cool for them as well. And we did things like animated GIFs where the chair would come to life, you know, from just one or two marks and getting erased and then actually e existing. Um, and then I'm not going to remember this exactly right, but, uh, there was a, there was a, some money in a pot about creating a digital portfolio. And I said, well, I'd like to do a, a pilot. And so I uh, suggested that we do a pilot with student volunteers who would want to spend the semester making these portfolios that would be about archiving your work, showing your work, thinking about your work process, um, et cetera. And so I just called a meeting, an open meeting on it. Does that sound right? Yeah. I, the way I remember it, I remember you saying basically, because you at the time were already my advisor. You had said, I have this portfolio pilot project. And I was like, what is it? And you basically said something effective. You'll see. And I come into a room and it's it's basically a slice of the campus, like a cross section of the campus. This is what I remember you tried to get to test wordpress.com. And then you came to me and you asked me, do would like what do you think? I think at the time I had already told you that I had a little bit of a tech background from high school. And uh, you were like, what if this was a campus-wide thing? And I said, well, here's my 17 gajillion ideas. And then from there, my very, very first semester was a pilot project, which was a couple of weeks. And then next semester was, all right, so we're building a, a center for digital and visual literacy. Would you like to be part of it? <laughs> I said, absolutely. Um, yeah, the, the very first meeting, there was like 25 people there. It was, it was a big meeting and there was a lot of interest. Um, but by the end of the semester, the people who had stuck with it were maybe seven. Yeah. And yeah. I think those are the people that we ended up selecting to be in the pilot uh, project. I can't remember if we got, if did we pay you at that point? Or I remember, I remember it being more for credit, at least for me, because at that point I was taking an art class and this was counting towards that art class. Right. And I think there was also, if people were work study, there was a way that I could use that. Um, but I think what was really key is me, you know, finding people who had a pulse and a creative thinking neuron in their brains and an ability to uh, communicate that um, and uh, tagging them. Like me saying, okay, Anastasia is somebody who is going to be really um, prolific in this kind of an environment. Um, and I really wanted ideas from your generation, you know, because here's this old coot saying, well, this is what you ought to do. And I know that never works. But I had an inkling that it was a good idea just because of social media, et cetera. Getting you and the other seven people who were involved at that point um, to really power the program was, I think, key. Um, you know, I think... I gave you all kinds of framework within which to develop things that I thought you or you thought would be relevant to um, to your to your class. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I actually, I would say that the only reason the CDVL was like able to get off of the ground, if even, and it is still still like a thing, was because you you sort of maintained that thing of of what do you guys think? I want you to guys to get your hands dirty, AKA agency. It would right. not have 
gone off the ground if we all didn't feel like we had a stake in it. I remember early days being very transparent about you saying, okay, now I'm gonna go talk to this group of the campus to try to get this part of the CDVL flushed out. And I want you guys to help with the presentation or I want your your input or your feedback on what you think I should say or something like that. What okay. do you think is important stuff? Um, and I think that's that sort of energy, so to speak, really made it all work. Yeah, I think that's right. I think the collaboration aspect of it is what made it work. And the seven people that were involved were super different people, right? I mean, not well, we had we had two classics majors, we had a couple of art majors. Uh, I can't remember who else, but it was you know it, it wasn't just art people thinking this was a good idea. It was people with ideas and thinking and forward thinking, envisioning. Um, and also all y'all really believed in it. Like you said, yes, this is a good, powerful idea. And you all used it, you know, you created your own portfolios. And I remember um, Alex's friend, Amy, who got her job as a classics librarian with her digital portfolio before that was even a career center thing. Like it was because she had that, that she was able to send that and somebody was like, oh man, this is so interesting and would you be our librarian? And, but I would say, you know, for any kind of an activity to have that kind of, I wanna say buy-in, but that's a dumb, phrase, you know, that kind of investment in the project is really important. You guys were powerful and empowered. Um, I remember, Anastasia, you teaching a class because I was like, well, you've got to teach this class to the first years. And you were petrified. And yeah. oh my God, you slayed it. But everyone did. It's like as soon as you give someone a, the responsibility, that kind of responsibility, and it makes you really nervous, you have to really learn it. You have to really know it. And you, you're selling your product. You know, I mean, you guys believed in it. And the other thing that happened out of that was with you, a sophomore teaching the first years, um, the first years believe in you. You know, they're they're more buying in as well because it's not just a teacher out there telling them something. It's their peer. So the peer led thing is is huge to me. Very effective and fun. So fun. I mean, so fun to be in a group of people who, you know, I'm not telling you what to do like you're half the time telling me what to do. For example, um, class started five minutes ago uh, or something like that, which happened more than one time, I will say. It was, it was also cool to have, by that point, we were teaching. I think I had declared you as my advisor. So, I mean, long story short, we had so many meetings and they always kind of ended up towards my own personal growth and personal and professional development. So I remember being one of the seven, even though I was scared, I was like, well, Nell said I could do it. So that must mean I could do it because Nell knows what my needs are like. You know what I mean? I think the fact that everybody felt like here is an adult, here is a professional, here is somebody who is the head of this thing saying, go ahead, go do it, go stand in front of people and tell them what you know, and you'll be fine. And you're nervous and that's good. And you'll be fine. Everybody was like, oh yeah, this is all of our thing. We don't just work here. We are the thing that makes up the CDVL. I remember we had specializations, right? Everyone had Photoshop shallow. One person had Photoshop depth. Everyone had whatever it was, WordPress shallow. Some people had, well, actually most people had WordPress depth so that everyone had a specialization so that if somebody came in to get tutoring, um, they would know what they needed and we would all know how to schedule that or address that or who to have them speak to. 
and so I know that also in your parts where you were teaching the first years, the required first year classes, that you guys all had sections that you taught. And every time you taught it, you got better and better and better at it. But you learned how to cover for each other. So you ended up cross training in a way um, and learning the things that other people didn't know. I thought that was really cool to see. And I just want to make a note about the idea that you didn't have confidence because, you know, here I am at, at my age looking at you with your self-confident self. And I'm like, it didn't even cross my mind that you would be nervous about that. And that's just a maturation. I mean, it's because you were 18. It's like you had never done that before. Of course you had never done that before, but I'm so having done it before that I, 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 I lose my empathy for that. So me putting you there, I'm like, of course you can do it. I mean, I, it wasn't like, oh, I think you can on. I was like, well, duh. You I mean, if I could do it, you can do it. I've seen you. I know you. you know? <laughs> That's exactly right. We were, we were so scared of it because we had never experienced right. it before. We were like, oh, this is, you just go up and you say things and then everybody nods. Oh no, our secret is out. That's all there is to teaching. At least that's all there was to, you know, teaching a 10 minute section. I remember that the decision to make it a section was a collaborative decision as well. Say, okay, Amy, because you know HTML, you'll cover this part. Anastasia, because you know, I, I think I was like the plugin master or something like that. That's right. Yeah. And then it slowly turned from students to faculty, those summer yeah. faculty sessions. And that was, that was when I felt like you stepped into your big girl pants now, yes. like you, you are owning it, you are learning it, you are standing in front of professionals and you're giving them information, like that's crazy. It's um, not even that you're giving them information, it's that you are teaching your teachers. Yeah, and that was a whole, I mean, you wanna talk about a discussion of professionalism, like within myself. Yeah. That, that was a whole thing. But, that sort of energy of of giving everybody agency and the confidence to be yeah. able to do those kind of things is still what, as somebody who works in the CDBL yeah. and manages the tutors, is what like I'm trying to pass on to them. That's awesome. It's like the most valuable thing past college, right? Is the knowledge of okay, maybe I haven't done it before, maybe I don't know how to do it right now, but that doesn't mean I can't do it. I mean, as I think about our relationship creating the center. I think what we did was a mentorship program IRL, you know, like that was not specifically classroom work, but it was everything that it means to be a successful learner and teacher. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So one question that I have is you, you all mentioned there was a transition period between training fellow peers to training faculty. So how did y'all get faculty on board to listen to being taught by students? Well, that's a good idea. Um, I mean, a good question. Um, and it was a good idea. That's actually kind of the key. Professors actually want to learn, right? They want to learn and the students actually knew something. So it was much less of a black and white, I am a teacher and you are a student, as it was the mix of we're all learners here. And that's how I touted it. And that's how I think we must learn in the digital age. Everyone, every class you've been in probably, Sai, and every class you've been in, Anastasia, and every class that I have been in, there is a time where a student knows something technologically that the teacher don't know, right? So it's like, um, you know, how many times has a student stepped in to say, you know, here's how you do PowerPoint or, or whatever it is. I have taught Photoshop since 
I have learned, I have been learning Photoshop since it was invented in 1980 or so. I teach Photoshop, right? And still, as I'm going around and teaching students, they'll do something that I have never seen before, right? You have to, in the digital age, have the mindset of always open to learning. And you can't do that thing where your ego gets in the way. You just can't. Or if you do it, it's to your detriment. It's just not going to be helpful. Um, so what happened was we had, again, some, some money in a pot. Um, it, was, it was a Mellon grant. The whole C CDBL was a proposal. Actually, I forgot this story, and it's really important. Mellon wrote to Elizabeth Keish a letter that said, basically, this isn't how they worded it, but basically it said, we have a big bunch of money that we want to give away um, to you for a project. Do you have any ideas? And Elizabeth called me because I'm really good at ideas. And she said, do you have an idea? And I said, oh, yes, I do have an idea. And I outlined the CDBL and it got funded. So it got a three-year funding budget. And so I was able to pay people, I was able to pay tutors, and we invented something called Mellon Fellows, which was teachers who would volunteer, could get a stipend, and work with a tutor for a semester on their digital portfolio to, to develop it however they might want to. Anastasia, you had that experience. You want to talk about that? I worked with uh, Professor Jing Paul. She eventually actually, I think she had put a pause on the project. I'm very much speculating because I don't know exactly the logistics of what happened, but I think uh -huh. she did actually get that project off the ground and made it into a summer camp. Of course, everybody had their own specializations and every project didn't necessarily require learning Photoshop as well as WordPress right. as well as video editing on that kind of stuff. And those one-on-one -on -one session times were really cool because around that time that also allowed us to develop how we tutor and practices that we still use today. I remember having so many questions from the other tutors at the time of, well, I have this professor, but I'm nervous to tutor them. Or I've had five tutoring sessions this week and they'll come in and say, I don't really know what I need to ask, but I know I have this problem or something like that. And we always end up going over time or we end up going under time and I don't know what I'm doing or something like that. Um, and so having the, the conversations with professors one-on-one -on -one, and of course, professors know how to talk about education already and, and that you know their whole thing is discerning information. Yeah. So very quickly they were able to succinctly say this is my problem and this is the question that i have and we sort of modeled that format to bring to the student body as well but those melon projects were so so cool and the relationships that you guys developed were fantastic oh yeah i mean especially because uh we have the benefit of agnes being kind of small right everybody knows everybody so almost all the professors knew almost all of the students that were working in the CDVL. Right. And therefore, because of the Mellon grants and because then we had, you know, Alan Grossefin walking away and being like, oh, T in the CDVL helped me and it was so great and X, Y, Z happened. Then all of a sudden other, you know, we had a question come from Willie Tolliver. And then all of a sudden somebody else had a video project that they wanted to do to bring to their class. Um, right. And part of the Mellon Fellowship was that they had to present what they had learned teachers had to do a presentation in slight form on what they had um, learned in the fellowship. They had to show up their product. They had to show up their website. Another thing that happened was we were able to fund people coming to, I think, one-hour sessions, maybe two-hour sessions 
to develop their portfolio. So everybody got a portfolio. That's when we hired Pete uh, Rorabaugh from outside to help come in and facilitate that. We had, I think it's something like 95% of the faculty come to those sessions and develop portfolios, which is amazing. And then the, the third um, thing I want to talk about in terms of mixed learners is a class that Pete and I taught called Connected Learning, where it was a class that, was, that consisted of staff, faculty, and students all together creating a project, a digital humanities project. And that was an amazing course. And I think that was around the time that I met Pete again, because Pete had already worked with us over the summer sessions. Gosh, there were so many faculty at those. So we had back to back to back to back summer sessions. Was there a methodology for training those who were typically in student roles to be teachers? Or was it just kind of like, we'll just put you up there and see what happens? Oh, yeah, we gave notes afterwards. You know, we'd be like, you know, when you do this, think about doing this, just in terms of being an experienced person at anything, uh, talking to anybody and knowing that you can help them in terms of, um, you know, the tutors teaching. But, oh, my gosh, after a while, they were just, they were astonishing. I remember Emily Gwynn saying, they're way better than I am. <laughs> just like being able to really be in the material um, is so helpful. I think one thing that was difficult was... Um, there were some teachers who didn't like not knowing things. And so I think those people are difficult to teach, but that is always true, whether you're a teacher or a student, you know, um, and I think that's a learning lesson for everybody. You know, you when you first introduced the, uh, the fact, not just the Mellon fellows, but the fact that we would be teaching uh, professors, all of us kind of looked at each other and we're like, uh oh, <laughs> because I got a bad grade in that teacher's class. Um, <laughs> I didn't hear that. <laughs> yeah, we were nervous because then, then all of a sudden, that was when we kind of shifted from just being, oh, we're just we're just students playing around over here at the CDVL and we're like building resources and stuff like that. To all of a sudden, we're campus leaders, um, and we all had to. We all looked at each other and we're like we need to write everything down now <laughs> because we need to have some sort of group agreement on how we conduct ourselves <laughs> and less, less because we felt like we had to, otherwise we would tarnish the name of the CDBL, but mostly because of our own anxieties of being professional and not saying something that wouldn't be useful to the professor because, you know, they were so high on the totem pole uh, in our minds. So we did a lot of like, how do we efficiently do X, Y, Z? And then looking at each other on how we did things. I remember we watched T so much because T is also a Woodruff scholar. She was so much more comfortable than us in terms of tutoring because she's T, as you know, Nell is very willing to go above and beyond. And so we did a lot of like, hey, T, can I, can I talk to you for 30 minutes on how you tutor things? And then we developed literally a tutoring handbook for ourselves um, and then around that time when we started developing it, we met with you and, and you were like, well, let's talk about longevity and possibly introducing new people to the CDVL and blah, 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 and what that looks like. And then we started making this handbook for teaching fellow other tutors. I think that's super useful. And I want to say something more about that, because as I recall, those, those meetings, those were like, I would come in for five minutes, 10 minutes and say, yeah, here's your tasks. And then I would leave and you guys would have an hour to probably stare at, yourself, stare at each other confusedly. 
I very much was hands off with that stuff. And I want to say that I think that really speaks to the act of um, y'all's integrity. You rose and there was no way out really because you had volunteered in this and you were invested in it and it was a way of um, empowering you. I mean, that's why I always say it wasn't me. It just wasn't me. I mean, I had the idea and I was in the right place at the right time to get the budget. Maybe I was the on switch, but I wasn't all of the works. You know, I really think that this happened collaboratively in a beautiful way. You know, the way you guys stepped up into that. And when you do that kind of work, like created the handbook, which ends up being the standard of procedures manual, you know, you do own it and you can't help but be confident about it because you freaking wrote the book. Yeah, we literally I I just remembered that we literally wrote the CDVO tutor job description. We developed yep. that. That's right. That's right. That's crazy. And we developed the idea of having a staggered system. I mean, it was a re- it's, it was a systems design. Mm-hmm. Man, smart. Y'all are smart. <laughs> Ooh, campus leaders. <laughs> So I have a question that's more directed towards Nell. Um, When did you decide to kind of hand off the reins and why? Well, okay. The first reason um, that I wanted to hand off the reins is that this, as you can imagine, being the director of anything is a lot of time and work and energy. All of this is over and above my typical job, you know, which is also a lot of time and work and energy. Um, And I wasn't invited to stay on as a director um, for compensation. And I am very much about leading our campus into a culture of not doing to all the overwork that I think the campus does. I don't think it's right. I think we should have a life. I think it should be more humane. Um, So part of it was that. Um, and we had hired a um, coordinator, Sumaya. Sumaya came in and helped us um, do really a lot of that work, but then she ended up not being able to stay, and then it wasn't funded again, and it was, it was, um, it was really about that, Sai. It was about, it was a big program that needed a lot, a dedicated person like Lisa uh, to run it, and I wasn't that person. I, I do have a lot of ideas, um, and I, I think part of what's going on for me is it, it, I, I have a lot of ideas, but not a lot of power. Um, I also don't have a lot of buy-in with my colleagues. Like some people just hate the portfolio, <laughs> so um, it's hard to work in academia um, like that. You know that it's just it's it, there's a lot of sort of persuasion that that has to go on, and I, I don't think that that's a good use of my time lobbying for ideas that are good ideas. <laughs> I was also very excited because I think, I mean, I think Lisa's amazing. You know, I think having somebody that could could dedicate their full time to that would really, um, it, I think I thought it could work. You know, I thought we had set up a system that could work and I think it, it can work. It is working. I'm hoping that it works to the point that the school thinks it can't get rid of it. Um, yeah. That's still, it's still um, tenuous, I believe. So that, um, that brings me to a question that um, I ask of both of y'all. The current iteration of the CDVL, in my perspective at least, it's a, it's different than when it first started out. Uh, it's, there is that element of peer advising through the tutoring, but it's not so much as peer-led. Um, do you all feel that shift was inevitable, and 
what do you feel like that caused that shift? I feel like the shift from the D center to the CDVL and uh, how it's different in structure, it's different from peer led to being a little bit less peer led was definitely inevitable. And I think it was necessary um, just because number one, we've expanded so much in terms of how many uh, tutors we have and also how many people regularly come to the CDVO as compared to the, to the early days and how much the campus has shifted towards digital literacy um, and how regularly the portfolio is used and how regularly we as a CDVL are called upon to go teach so many other different subjects that I think if it, if it didn't become something that had a little bit more of an administrative hand on it, I don't think it would have been as a fluid moving wheel. And I think in, I think in the beginning, everything was sparkly, everything was new, everything was so, so, so exciting. And the reality is that it, I don't think it could have been that way forever. Realistically, we were gonna get to the point where we hire that one student that wasn't really excited for digital literacy in the same way that we were, but needed a campus job or something like that. And I think in the old, in the D center days, if we had that student, it would have killed us. And I think because we have a lot more of an administrative hand now in things and we are, we have those established standard operating procedures and the handbooks and all that kind of stuff that we have today, there's now ways that we can still have that person. As Nell said, we do know of the faculty that aren't necessarily as excited about digital literacy as we would like them to be. We now have ways to handle that and to sort of integrate what we do into the campus effectively um, and with the same sort of excitement, at least for me. Yeah, no, I love your take on that. And actually, Asai, that brings me back to the first question that you asked about why hand over the reins. And I think that may be it. I mean, thinking about, you know, I like to make things. I like to build things. And it may be that once it gets systematized, I find that less interesting. But as I hear Anastasia talk, I'm like, you know what, though? I think there's a way to to do that. Like, I think going in with this entrepreneurial spirit and taking these people um, and not accepting people who weren't excited and passionate, like really having an interview process where, no, you're not allowed to come unless you are dedicated into it and have ideas, like I did with those first pilot people, and have people, give people the opportunity and the power to enact ideas. So I think going out into the community, for example, opening up the center to high school people to do whatever, um, really, really getting invested in projects that you are interested in and having again the power and the funding and the and the and the and the permission to make it go could actually light that thing on fire um but it's a full-time job yeah i think yeah it's it, i always when lisa first came on i had maybe like a two-hour lunch meeting she called it a lunch and learn and she she asked me freshly graduated you know a little bit jaded because so many things had changed in the CDVL then that it didn't feel like the CDVL anymore. And she asked me, she was one of the few people that had asked me since working with you now, like, what do you want the CDVL to be? What do you want the CDVL to become? And I was like, I want it to be exciting again. Like I want it to be, I wanted it to be somewhere where I felt I was able to be in front of a class and teach and have my fellow tutors also teach and have and be able to turn to someone and say, hey, I found this thing on General Assembly. Do you want to take it with me? Or isn't I found I can send you a video on how to do that one thing you asked me about last week on LinkedIn Learning and have that be that kind of learning environment with also the knowledge that 
there's going to still always be that one person that is not wanting that. The key to teaching is learning. That's why none of my classes are the same. It's like, I'm bored with that, right? And as soon as I'm doing something different, I'm learning about it. And so that, I think that's why I think the, the Center for Teaching and Learning, that this might actually be a way to reimagine that. Um, that. When you teach, you have to know what you're talking about. And when you learn, you don't know what you're talking about, right? So it's like this wonderful dialogue between the curiosity that you have and also feeling... Um, powerful with your knowledge. Like that's just such a cool thing that humans do. <laughs> yeah. And also, and also, I mean, uh, going back to your, your strict question, Sai, about it changing from peer to more administrative control, so to speak. I also don't see that administrative control as sort of a strict up and down, like you cannot speak, you cannot stand up in front of the class or anything like that. It's just more so we've built processes right. and we built forms and we built spaces for the tutors to then maximize on that kind of agency, that kind of energy. Right. So we intentionally set up a structure around having them stand in front of the classes and we intentionally yeah. are giving them those kind of spaces. Um, and I, and it's so much more effect. I mean, cause Back when it first started, it was seven tutors, and then we were maybe helping like one person a week. And now we're averaging around like 30 appointments every two weeks, and we have 11 tutors. And we're supporting the rest of the campus on time. And that doesn't count like faculty members and stuff like that. And they're like these, and we're teaching classes regularly at least once a month. So, oh, Lord, sorry. I have dogs over here. <laughs> Yeah, so it's gotten big and it's gotten perfunctory. It's gotten to be so that it is a service rather than a creative uh, endeavor. And I don't think those things are mutually exclusive. One other thing I will say is we it, it turned administrative because we hired an administrator. I mean, I think Lisa is a teacher. I mean, I think she's astonishingly uh, effective. But I was able to envision many things because of my um, tenure status. And I was able to carry it out. I was able to, in some ways... Um, step out and and say we should do this in ways that lisa just can't because she's staff so i think that that in some ways created what it what it is right now and i i don't know that that has to be true i think it could evolve again i would agree how do y'all envision the faculty liaison working in the future for the cdvl do you hope that they reinvigorate faculty excitement with these programs and so forth I think that what that position needs to be, what Lisa's position needs to be, is not, there, there isn't a faculty liaison, there is a person who is half faculty, half staff, who directs that thing, right? So that person is a teacher. And it's not just a three, I think having a three-year turnover is a mess. Everybody comes in, they've got a different, they have to form the relationship with the director, they have to they have to kind of think about how, it's just, it's really hard to do that in three years. It's a big, big, um, idea. It's a big, big program. And how do you have long-term vision when you only have three years? I, I don't think that that model works for this situation. I would kind of agree. I envision the faculty liaison. I mean, baseline, I envision the faculty liaison in the future as an exemplar um, in all of their classes. Like, I would love to have a faculty liaison that is all about having video projects, having, you know, conversations about copyright, having conversations about put this on your digital portfolio, subscribe. Somebody who has that capacity has that sort of room to be 
always about the CDVO. I, I would just love for the faculty liaison to be somebody who has that room to be doing everything and anything possible for digital and visual literacy. But there's only so much, you know, Nicole has her own classes and her own other responsibilities. And her own interests. Yeah. So we need to hire more people uh, for the CDVO. Um, and thank you so much for coming to my talk. You know, <laughs> I think we, if we rearrange what that model is, that we could actually do it with existing with an existing situation. Yeah. So for colleges who are looking to do something similar to the CDVL, what advice would you give them? Don't do it 50%. You, this isn't like a summer project, so to speak. This is something you do have to put a lot of resources. A lot of, yeah, you have to have a lot of empathy. I mean, you have to care about it. You, you can't just say, okay, I got a grant. Okay, I'm going to go find seven students and okay, I'm going to let them do whatever. Like you have to care about it and you have to trust the students that you're trying to get started on this Um I think I would say that it's really, really important that the students have power in it and um, that it is a collaborative project, which again, I think is it's a, tr it's a tricky thing to work out. And I think there needs to be a long-term faculty staff um, position that, that runs the thing. And I think making it more about teaching and learning and not just about digital tools, because I think it's seen as digital, but really it's about content, right? It's like, here's something I need to express. What is the smartest way for me to express it? And it's, it's, it's an intellectual decision. So to understand that, that it's not just, you know, going to LinkedIn learning and learning how to use WordPress. It's actually understanding how WordPress works is an academic challenge, you know, and what you put where and how you present a piece of information and what the navigation is, those are really difficult, really three-dimensional puzzles to solve. That it's not, you know, it's it's not a simple task. There's not a how-to. You have to really think. And I think there's a difficulty in going to, um, you know, a department that is service-based. Um, you just have this thought that, oh, they're just going to help me do this when really what has to happen is it's about thinking. It's a critical thinking department. Um, and I don't think that that reads. So maybe renaming it something so that it feels more of a, like it's an academic component rather than a service would be important. And write everything down. <laughs> start, start that SOP early. Well, um, I will honor y'all's time as much as I can after five minutes over overage. <laughs> um, I really appreciate y'all taking the time to like talk with me and talk to each other about the CDVL and where it was, where it is, and where it could be. Nice. Nice wrap up. Bye. Bye. And that concludes our insider look into the Center for Digital and Visual Literacy, also known as the CVO. Thanks to the set Rojo Ramirez and Jacqueline Boyo for their assistance in editing this episode. For our audience within the Agnes Scott community, what effect do you feel the CDVL has had on Agnes Scott? What would you like for the center to do in the future? For our audience outside the Agnes Scott community, how do you feel something like the CDVL would help your institution or school? Send your answers to us via the messaging system on Anchor or email us at cdvl at agnescott.com.
cdvl.edu. That's cdvl at agnescott.edu. Thanks for listening and catch you next month.